Welcome to the Agora Network Ministries podcast, Hope for the Agora, a conversation about mental health and the church. Listen in as our host, Evan Roars Dodge, shares practical, educational, and insightful information about the mental health conversation and the stigma inside the walls of the church. Our hope is that through informative interviews with leading mental health professionals and people in the field, and through the stories of healing and transformation, you will find that hope and healing can be found in body, soul, and spirit. To learn more, go to agoranetworkministries.com and follow us on social media. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to another episode of Hope for the Agora. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Dodge. I'm really excited to be joined by Pastor Kevin Riley. Kevin, welcome to Hope for the Agora. Thank you for having me. Thanks, man. Um, Kevin, you are a local church pastor doing some great ministry in the Pacific Northwest. If you would, share with our listeners a bit about you, um, who you are, where you live, what you do, and... um, Maybe what you like to do for fun. Okay, okay. Um, I, my name is Kevin Riley. I'm a, I'm a pastor who comes to ministry in a non-traditional sense. Um, I come from a life of addiction, homelessness, incarceration, and overall just uh, brokenness. Uh, I pastor uh, in the Skagit Valley of Washington, which is kind of nestled in between a couple of, uh, it's, I don't know, I think it's just like the, the best kept secret of Western Washington. You think Western Washington, you go, Oh, Seattle and the space and you go, and it's like, nah, man, you gotta, you gotta come to the Skagit Valley and, and visit the tulip fields. And, um, you know, we're, we're a half an hour from either the water or the mountains. It's just absolutely amazing. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, you know, but the other side of the, in the other side of it, in in the midst of all this beauty, there is an, um, an immense amount of suffering that, um, the church just really needs to engage with. And so we just uh, go headstrong into engaging with people who uh, suffer in a marginalized context because that's what I come from. You know, I, I, uh, I started out sleeping in the parking lot of a church uh, in, in Burlington, which is here in the Skagit Valley, uh, underneath a cross that was lit up on a hill because it made me feel safe. And uh, God really broke through my fog and said, I want you to go deeper into ministry and, and use your story to help people who are suffering. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just leading with my story and, and doing it unapologetically. Awesome. Uh, Kevin, you and your wife co-pastor, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. So yeah, my wife and I, we are breaking barriers. You know, traditionally people will say those who have used together um, or lived in active addiction together cannot do recovery together. And we're here to say um, that's not true because we both have seven years completely clean and sober and five years in ministry. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, Kevin, then let's just, let's start there. If you, you can just kind of take us back um, into your story, your story of addiction, homelessness and um, incarceration, and then uh your journey through that to where you are today. Yeah, I, I remember, I, I think, I, I think the most uh, prominent story in there is uh, the first time I ever really heard God speak to me. Um, and, you know, when you say 
when a person says that they heard from God, we always automatically think that it's going to be some kind of big booming voice that comes in and says, you shall do, or thou mm-hmm. shall whatever. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, it's not like that for everybody because it wasn't like that for me. It was, mm-hmm. he spoke to me in a way that only I would understand. Um, I remember being strung out on the streets, living in the cab of a pickup truck with, uh, with my now wife, then fiance and, and three dogs, cab of a wow. 74 Chevy, uh, and I just remember being ready to, to go. Um, I just remember being ready, you know, my depression was up because of my using everything. And I just remember being okay with not being in this world anymore. Um, and I remember writing a poem on a piece of wood to God saying, if you want to take me, then take me because I'm ready. Um, and a couple of days later, we were up in Bellingham uh, getting a, uh, getting a gas voucher to get back to, to Skagit Valley. Bellingham's a, about a 20, 25 miles North of where we're at now. And, um, we were in this, in this breezeway of a Catholic church because we were getting a gas voucher from the Catholic ministry, St. Vincent de Paul. Um, and I remember walking by the sign that said, uh, J E R two nine one one on it. And, uh, mm-hmm. I wrote it down on a piece of paper and, um, and we got our gas voucher and we were on our back down and I was about it. Hey, found this thing on this whiteboard. It says J-E-R-2911. And she said, uh, is that Jeremiah? I was like, I don't know. It's in the Bible. This is how non-introduced I was or any right. type of fixated religion. It was just like, I just saw like some secret code on a whiteboard and I had to go decipher what it was. Right. Um, and uh, I go, the only reason I wrote it down is because the 2911 is like the last four of my social security number. Um, uh-huh. And then right then a gust of wind came through the, the pickup truck uh, and that piece of paper that I was looking for to show her landed in between us. And she looked at me and her eyes were the size of dinner plates. And uh, she goes, we need to figure out what that means. And I'm like, you're right, we do. And a couple of days later, we ended up at a local Christian bookstore in Burlington. And uh, it was right around, uh, right around graduation time. And and uh, my wife walks around the corner and hands me this book. And on the cover of this book, it says, uh, for I know the plans I have for you in Jeremiah 29, 11. Wow. Um, I remember that was the first time that I really heard God say, I have something better in store for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lost it. I started crying in the middle of that store. Um, did it stop me from using and being depressed and full of anxiety and living the way that I was living? No, mm-hmm. but it didn't give me that little glimmer of hope. Um, that I've been able to use that story and, and share my experiences from that moment um, well into my ministry to write, try to reach people who are struggling. Um, yeah. Kevin, um, tell us about your, was there kind of a watershed moment or something that happened that really led you out of um, addiction and homelessness? And uh, I, I know when we, when we talked before, you shared me the story and you, you mentioned it, introducing yourself and being under that cross and having that yeah. cross lit up. And I think that's an amazing story. So maybe you can work that in um, a little bit yeah. uh, talk, talking about, you know, more about your story. Yeah. So I, you know, my wife and I, we were, we were lost in addiction and we were on the streets and we were using like crazy. Um, and she ended up having to serve some time. Uh, on electronic home monitoring, uh, a jail sentence on electronic home monitoring for uh, uh, for Whatcom County, 
Um, and she was approved to do that at her, at her parents' house. And I remember um, sleeping outside of a church not too far from there. And she woke me up one day and she told me she was pregnant. And so we went to the doctor and did all of that stuff. And I wasn't able to go into the doctor's appointment. Uh, and it, 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 it really kind of threw me for a loop. And when she came out, uh, she uh, told me she was pregnant. It was confirmed by the doctor. And so I just remembered not talking. And that was the first time I ever really prayed. Um, seeing this is where God is really starting to break through my fog and he's getting me to pray and to like cry out to him and engage. I don't think he's forcing me to cry out to him, but he's ready. He was ready to hear that call um, and, and answer it. And uh, I just remember praying, God, if, uh, if you are, I didn't even say if you were real, I just said, God, if the baby's going to survive, then you need to remove us both from the situation. Um, that day, uh, my wife got stopped and, uh, and by the police and she wasn't where she was supposed to be. And so they took her back to jail. And so God answered my prayer, not in the way that I wanted him to, but he answered it and forcibly removed Danielle from, uh, from society and from life and the, and having ready, easy access to, to drugs. And I remember going, um, going back to the streets really hardcore for about a month after that. And I ended up uh, back at that church that, that I alluded to earlier, um, uh, Tierra Nueva in Burlington. Uh, if you drive I-5 North uh, from Seattle into Bellingham and you come through Skagit Valley and there's a, there's a hill up on the, uh, it'll be up on the right-hand side. And at night, it's got a cross that's lit up on top of this hill. And so there's something in the cross that it always brought me the feeling of safety and acceptance and love and, and protection. And I think that it was instilled by my grandma who I was my only introduction to any type of religion, uh, going to Catholic mass with her in the stand, kneel, stand, kneel. I, I learned what the cross meant sort of just from kneeling outside the pews and doing the North Southwest East thing before moving in. Uh, and I just remember sleeping under that cross and feeling safe. I made my bed under a box truck in this parking lot. And, um, and that's kind of where I stayed and decided to, to kick dope. But it was also in that place that we were right next to, I was right next to some train tracks. And um, there's a song by Alexis on fire called the Northern and uh, it's a Canadian band. And, and there's uh, there's, there's a reference to God's trumpet in that song and the people wanting the people who are singing, wanting to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just remember sleeping there under that box truck and hearing the ding, ding, ding of the, of the freight train coming by. And then you hear the horn and the way my addicted brain worked was, is that was the sound of God's trumpet coming to scare all the evil I had done away uh, as wow. he was reclaiming me as his son, as I slept underneath the refuge of his cross. Mm -hmm. um, and so every time I hear a train horn, even to this day, I think of God and his trumpet. And it's, and it's a constant reminder of the, the extent that he went to, uh, to protect me uh, and to rescue me and pull me out of darkness. So Kevin, you shared, um, you know, going to mass with your grandmother as a kid, but that kind of maybe being your only exposure to, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, institutional or organized church. Um, and now you're pastoring in, in uh, the Presbyterian yeah. church. Um, what, what, what led you into that kind of, of ministry, local church ministry? What was that journey like for you? Well, the thing about uh, 
sleeping in the parking lot of Tierra Nueva was is they that ministry had a very uh, a very focal uh, pursuit of those who were who were living and breathing on the margins from uh, being homeless uh, to addicts to to gangs to migrant workers to uh, incarcerated individuals and so I kind of just ended up right where I needed to be to be accepted uh, for who I was and who I was trying to be um, not for what I had done and so everybody there met me right where I was at and they, they showed me a whole new way of life that was possible. And I really felt like God was saying, I want you to stay here. Uh, and so I stayed there. My wife and I got married. I got baptized. And I, I felt this, this huge need to go deeper with God. And so I went back to the executive director with my wife and said, when we come on staff. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, no, uh, you know, we are doing really well and we are benefiting from the mission of this church and we want to give back to those who are still suffering and we want to use our story to do it. We want to use our experiences to do it. Um, and so we basically beat leadership into submission into coming on staff. <laughs> <laughs> and that just kind of opened up a, a whole new world that was like on the ground training for, for real chaplaincy ministry because everybody that we would come into contact with would be in crisis, whether they're in jail or coming to the Sunday worship service. And so it was a real, it was a real eye-opening experience on how to be just, just get down and dirty with people and, and really meet them where they were at. Um, it was in this process that uh, I was asked to uh, go share my story with a little tiny Presbyterian church out in Concrete, Washington. Uh, my wife and I went, and as we shared our story and some others, uh, uh, Bob Eckblad goes, hey, uh, these guys want to go deeper. Would you let them come out here and give a sermon since you guys don't have a pastor? And it was one of those situations where you could feel everybody looking at each other like, well, what do you want to do, you know, on their leadership team? And one of the elders goes, uh, the second Sunday of the month is mine and you can have it. And so my wife and I went out there and preached the sermon for the first time together. It was about five minutes long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, a couple other people came out behind, uh, behind me, uh, but they kept calling me and asking me to come back. And I would go out once a month and do a sermon. And I started learning how to really articulate Christ and my love for him and his love for me. Um, and, and preaching it in a way that uh, as somebody from that found Christ in darkness, rather than growing up with them and being told mm -hmm. who he is his whole yeah. life, I, I found him because I was suffering. Yeah. Um, they just one day said, Hey, will you come out and be our pastor? Um, and then, then uh, our, our, our local synod Northwest coast Presbytery created a, a, a working internship for me to become their pastor. And I've been there. Oh, I've been there four years now. Hey, Kevin, that's an awesome story. Uh, Kevin, we're going to take a short break, and I'll be right back uh, with my guest, Pastor Kevin Riley. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Agora Network Ministries is committed to helping churches work through the stigma of mental health and give support to their congregations. Throughout the year, we host a number of events one of them that we're really excited about is the Agora Academy, the first of its kind that begins September 13th. The Agora Academy runs for eight weeks and is led by registered psychotherapist Laura Bruno. 
You'll learn about the different diagnoses, treatment options, and practical skills you can do to foster positive mental well-being. There are limited seats available, so reserve your spot today. Go to agoranetworkministries.com and register there. Also, take the time to look through our other events as we will be having a number of webinars, speaking engagements, and uh, special times, uh, including Moving Towards Mental Wellness Seminars. We'll be hosting a number of those this coming fall, so you don't want to miss those either. Be sure to go over to the website and check it out. And now, back to the Hope for the Agora podcast. Kevin, in a, in a previous conversation, you shared with me some of the incredible ministry, um, really kind of some cutting edge and groundbreaking uh, ministry that you and your wife and your church are doing, really centering on issues of addiction and mental health. Share with us um, some of the things that you're doing at your church. Well, you know, it, we're doing some pretty outside the box. I don't think a lot of churches do stuff like what we're doing on their actual campuses. They'll, they'll send volunteers somewhere else to go help out, but they don't say, hey, come do it in our house. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, right before COVID hit, uh, it's weird to say a couple of Yeah, it's weird to say it that way. Yeah. Um, we, we were approached by our local health department and asked to do a, a homeless shelter as a pilot program. Um, and so that, that made us to be the, the, the face of the homeless shelter and the location for the homeless shelter. So on our campus, in our building, in our social hall, we housed homeless individuals. Uh, it was a low barrier shelter. So being high or having mental issues or a mental breakdown or anything like that would not, would not disqualify you from being able to, to stay in the shelter. And, um, we did that for four weeks. And one of the things that we found in that four weeks was uh, uh, there was a what I call a, a dead hour. And this is where I really love the congregation of Mount Baker is, uh, you know, the shelter would close at 8 a.m. But the, the, the community center wouldn't open at 9 a, until 9 a.m. And the community center is where they could go get a free meal that day. Uh, individuals who stayed in the shelter. And so uh, we decided to make it an hour-long ministry where people from the church would come in and, and sit and just rest in a place with those who were staying in the shelter overnight uh, for an hour. And then uh, on Sundays when uh, the community center wasn't open, it, it was, uh, we're not going to force you to come to church upstairs, but you don't have to leave the building until church is done. Um, and so they would start coming up and, and uh, you know, and I think it was a, it was a four-week pilot program. Uh, COVID made it so we couldn't do it again, but in that four weeks, we were able to help seven individuals get back on track, um, get uh, reinstituted with service. And I think uh, one of them even ended up getting permanent housing, uh, which is a, a total win. The four weeks just to get one guy permanent housing is totally worth it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then COVID kind of derailed everything. You know, we had to, we had to think on our feet and, and really try to figure out, do we want to just quietly pastor ourselves into oblivion because nobody knew how it was going to pan out? Or, or do we want to just uh, uh, flip it and increase our outreach into the community? And, and that's what we did. Uh, we started reaching out to the school district. We started reaching out to people who are suffering in general and just trying to figure out ways to help. Uh, there's a, there's a really high poverty rate in the area that we're at the school district. I think pre COVID was a a 73% poverty rate. Uh, the 
the town itself, uh, what I could find online, showed a 42% poverty rate. The average median income of the, the town is about 47,000 less than the, the, than the average median income of the, or the median income of the state. And so we, we had to think of ways that we could help our friends and our neighbors and our community and just really not do it for name and notoriety as, of the church, but do it because we are the church and that's what we're called to do. Um, and so we did coats and shoes for the neediest kids in the district. Uh, we uh, started, par we partnered with another organization that has requested to, to not be named. Um, but we were able to bless the school district with, I think, $2,000 worth of gas cards and gas vouchers uh, last year. And the reason we did that is because so many people in our area live in campers and trailers and RVs, things that are not fit for regular human habitation. And they're heated with propane tanks that you will find underneath your barbecue out back. And so how do we give access, how do we give people who are struggling access to heat, especially in Pacific wet, rainy, snowy Northwest winters and falls and, and they can get the propane tanks at local gas stations. And so we did that. And it was as we were doing that and really working through that and trying to figure out, okay, we got all this stuff going, what's next, uh, that the health department called me again and said, Hey, with the way uh, that you had, uh, conducted yourself and the, and the church had conducted itself uh, with uh, the homeless shelter, we want to partner with you again. We were wondering if you'll enter into a grant application with us to bring medically assisted drug treatment and drug treatment to, uh, to Eastern Skagit County. Um, I said yes right away and then went out and then had a couple of meetings and it's like, oh wait, I should probably go ask the church for permission to do this. Um, and, and so I did, and I, I came back and I had a very long session meeting, which is our leadership team, um, with all the players in this grant application process. And at the end, they said yes, um, and to offer our building to do it. And so um, it was at in those meetings that we found out how much the need, we don't even know if we're going to get this grant yet or not. We won't know until uh, probably the middle of September, but we went ahead and started it anyways. And so on Tuesdays from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., anybody who is struggling with uh, uh, addiction can come to our church. They, they come in through the social hall door. Uh, they meet with a, a nurse practitioner or a registered nurse right then. They do an intake. They do a drug screen uh, uh, and to, to make sure that there's drugs on board. And after they get through all of that, then they're connected with the provider right then via Zoom. And then, uh, then the prescription goes right to the local pharmacy. And so uh, we, are, we are 25 miles from the, uh, from the closest town with actual real services. Uh, the area that we're at has been classified as services vacant, which means there isn't enough mental health, um, uh, medical or dental services in the community to support the community. Okay. So we're, we're working with individuals and bringing them to our church uh, to give them a fighting chance. Um, when I got clean and sober, I was in Burlington, Mount Vernon, right on the I-5 corridor, I had access to a transit system, I had access to rides. There's none of that out there. And so we need to bring those services to, to the people. Um, and that's, that's what we're doing. And yeah. uh, it's, it's crazy, it's scary. 
we thought we were going to get massive pushback from the community. But the community has actually been holding raffles and and taking from those raffles and donating it to us. So that way, uh, if somebody's getting um, is being for the first set of prescriptions, um, we now have like a little bit of cash stash that we will go pay for the prescription to get them started before they can get on board with some kind of like state health insurance or, or DSHS health insurance to help carry them through. So Kevin, you're doing some incredible uh, out of the box ministry with folks that frankly, a lot of churches wouldn't give the time of day. Um, and that's, that's sad to say, but my experience and probably your experience has been, um, you know, there's a lot of folks kind of living on the margins at the church either, just doesn't see, doesn't have eyes to see them, or doesn't want to see them. Uh, what's your theology? You know, your your um, your understanding of God and Christ and Spirit and the role of the church. What's propelling you? What's motivating you out of your faith to do the sorts of ministries that you're doing? Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's the easy answer. Uh, yeah. No, in, in PCUSA, there's this there's a Matthew 25 initiative, which is uh, which is a three part initiative: congregational vitality uh, and uh, uh, eradicating systemic racism and eradicating uh, systemic poverty in your neighborhood. Um, and I remember we were as a congregation before we even dove into all of this cool stuff that we're doing, the scary, messy stuff that we're doing. Um, we were trying to figure out who we were as a congregation and who we wanted to be in. Um, one of our elders had a conversation with an editor from Presbyterian today and the editor goes, Oh, it sounds like you guys are a Matthew 25 church. And um, so I went and did some research and found out that's uh, that really aligned with, with who I was as a leader. Um, and it, it really aligned with the heart of the community, the faith community that showed up every Sunday. And so we signed up and actually became a Matthew 25 church in, in the PCUSA. And, um, if you go and read through that whole section, and, you know, that whole section in Matthew 25, it's like, you know, it makes me sad for some churches, the way that it's written and the way that I understand it is that, you know, the, the, I think if I remember right, they'll come to me in the final hour and they'll say, we've done great things in your name. And, and Jesus will be like, sure, but I never knew you. And so when I read that and then I read stories of Jesus, Jesus wasn't in the temple increasing the size of the temple. He was going, uh, he was going and meeting lepers and, and healing them. And, uh, you know, he was sitting with a Samaritan woman and telling her that she's still beautiful, even though society tells her that she's not. He was going to Samaria, which is you can really read into the racist culture of the day. Uh, just in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and you know, and, and, and Jesus says, no, we're not going to go around Samaria. We're going to go into Samaria. And it wasn't to, to colonize or any of that. It was to go love on people. And so that's really the, 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 the basis of the theology behind what we're doing. It's how can we truly love our neighbor? Um, I never understood that until my neighbor prayed that over me, love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, Oh, wow. I've kind of been able to this. I don't know if I could say that. Sorry. <laughs> kind of jerk to my neighbor lately and he's praying for me out of love. And I'm like, it really reoriented to me on how I need to pursue 
my community. And, and when I say community, we don't just focus on a marginalized context in our right. community. We focus on our community as a whole. So yeah. we don't care if you're one of the higher names as the status quo in our community. We're going to love you from the, from the top to the bottom. We're just going to meet everybody with the same amount of love and compassion and energy that we give everybody else. Because if we were all to die tomorrow and we were put in the throne room or whatever you want to call it, and we were all assembled in front of Christ, I honestly believe it would not be a single file line. It'd be a shoulder to shoulder line because nobody is more greater than the other in the presence of Christ because he is the greatest. And we need to recognize that. We need to love everybody that God puts in front of us accordingly. I think of, uh, I think of you under that cross that was lit up on that hillside um, because I, I've always understood and preached the cross is kind of the great equalizer, right? Everybody who stands at, at the cross, um, we're all the same, right? right. Because we all, have, we all have the same fundamental need and that's yeah. the grace and love, that's the grace and love of Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, Jeff Bezos, or if you are, you know, somebody who's living um, in the, in, you know, where you are and just can't seem to kick heroin and doesn't have a home, you know? Um, our fundamental need is the same, right? And so I think doing ministry out of that paradigm that, you know, in Christ and through Christ and because of Christ, we're all the same. Um, well, the thing, the, the thing about it is, though, is when you want to do ministry on the margins and really reach people like that, you need to have a good, healthy base of, of healthy steadfast spiritually mature christians within your congregation as well because who else is going to teach yeah. the marginalized how to really engage with christ and love him and trust him right so you got to have that you got to have that uh, that that balance yeah absolutely uh pastor kevin as we wrap up this episode of hope for the agora what's one or two things that you would leave our listeners with who, who are or who want to be in ministry with, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, those on the margins, homeless, those dealing with substance uh, use problems, those who are seeking help in the church around issues of mental wellness. Um, what's maybe a couple, couple things that you would leave our listeners with? I think, um, I think the most important one is uh well it's kind of a tie with another one is uh when you minister in this context or you minister in that context of marginalized mental health and you really get invested or involved with somebody as you're trying to help them to a, a better path of health you can't want it more than they do uh, okay. because if you want it more than they do you're going to end up being the only one who does the work and then when they fall off, you're going to build resentments and it's going to destroy the relationship. Um, the other part of that too is uh, to realize that you're not going to be able to solve everybody's problems or fix everything. And sometimes the best thing that you can do is just shut up and listen mm -hmm. and meet them where they're at um, without giving it advice. Because some, a lot of times when people pour out their heart or their their frustration or their fear or their pain to me, 
they don't want me to tell them how to fix it. They just want me to listen. And I think that's one of the most important things that I, that I learned with on the ground chaplaincy is listening. Yeah. I think those are the big three. That's, that's, that's great, Kevin. That's a great note to end on. Um, Kevin, I'm so grateful for you and for your ministry, for the the connection that you and I have, have fostered uh, in getting you on the podcast. Yeah, man. Certainly pray for God's richest blessings on you and Danielle, right? Danielle is your wife. Yeah. Uh, For Danielle and your kids as you, as you move forward in this ministry. So thank you so much for joining me today. Can, can I throw one little last thing in real quick? Please, yes, please do. No, um, I talked about Danielle being pregnant earlier in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, the, that boy, Asher, is now six and absolutely doing amazing. And uh, he's the beautiful older brother to Quinn, who is four, who is uh, then the older brother and the older sister to Fox, uh, Fox, who is, uh, who is two. And we have an amazing uh house full of small children that drives crazy <laughs> oh i yes i know that world i know that world uh kevin if anybody wants to connect with you on social media or i know you have a podcast i think where you you have uh, kind of some 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 more resources maybe you go a little bit deeper into your story and your ministry yeah. um, we'll, we'll include that in the show notes but go ahead and share um with our listeners right now how they can connect with those things well, you can you can uh, you can you can follow Mount Baker Prez on uh, Facebook and Instagram. We're on both. Uh, my, I have my personal Facebook and and Instagrams, uh, Kevin Riley. Uh, but then we also have uh, oldfastpodcast.org, which is a, a podcast website that we started to to just as it kind of a, as people wanted to learn more about us um, and more about our theology and how we do stuff. Um, it's a great landing place to, to learn more, more about us. Um, there's, a, uh, uh, there's a really cool story on there. Uh, one of the episodes called Forgiveness and Reconciliation. It's an it's a episode that I did with a police officer that used to arrest me. Um, uh, wow. I'm talking about I want to listen to that. Um, matter of fact, that's actually who I get to go baptize today. I get to go baptize a police officer that used to arrest me and my wife who would go out of his way to arrest us yeah we're going to go baptize him today so um that story is on there too oh my gosh you're gonna make me cry that's that's, that's, a, that's only god only right. god right yeah I mean, just incredible gosh well i'm gonna encourage our listeners to check out that episode and um man i hope to see i don't know man on on social media or something maybe there'll be pictures or a testimony or something about the baptism. I, I, boy, that's really cool. That is yeah. really cool. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today for this conversation. And uh, I know it, man, it's blessed me. It's going to bless those who hear it. And so thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you found it helpful and informative. We are always open to your comments and suggestions. You can contact us at info at agoranetworkministries.com. You can also go to our website for resources, information, and upcoming events. Just head over to agoranetworkministries.com. If you would like to support the work of Agora Network Ministries, including this podcast, you can find a link on our site. We appreciate your support. We pray that your week is blessed. Bye for now.